0: Exodus chapter one, starting at verse six, and it reads, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. God bless you. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us, then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. And the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the Israelites without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sipra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women, as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's order. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women uh, are not like the Egyptian women, the midwife said. They are more vigorous and, and they have babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply growing more and more powerful. As you prepare to take your seats, help me introduce the title for today's message. Everyone say, a new king king who who knew nothing but new growth. You may take your seats. A new king who knew nothing but new growth have mercy, Lord have mercy on my poor soul. Women gave birth and whispered cries like this in caves out of the way places that humans didn't usually use for birthplaces. Moses hadn't come yet and these were the years when Israel first made tears. Pharaoh had entered the bedrooms of Israel. The birthing beds of Hebrews were matters of state. The Hebrew womb had fallen under the heel of Pharaoh. A ruler great in his newness and new in his greatness had arisen in Egypt and he said, this is law. Hebrew boys shall not be born. All offenders against this law shall suffer by drowning. A great forest of suffering accumulated between the basement of heaven and the roof of hell. The shadow of Pharaoh squatted in the dark corners of every birthing place in Goshen. Hebrew women shuddered with terror at the indifference of their wombs to the Egyptian law. These words were penned by Zora Neale Hurston in 1939 in the book entitled Moses, Man of the Mountain. I was impressed by her amazing way of telling story as she does further into the chapter. But I was also arrested by the fact that maybe with a few changes of words, nations, and people so much of this potentially could apply today. That the wombs of women fall under the matter of the state. As I sit and think about this particular text and this series that we go into entitled Freedom Ain't Free, I want us to go through this book, as uh, at least a few chapters, as we really begin to wrestle, what does it mean for us to grow in freedom? I think we may think freedom to be something that is granted, that freedom is a thing that we just walk into, yet it is my sincere belief that freedom is far more a lived reality by the individual seeking it than the one trying to slow it from coming. And this particular text helps us to identify how we have come to know the children of Israel. It is not until we get to Exodus, this particular movement, that we see the development of what we now call the children of Israel. Prior to this time, there are groups, there are individuals, there may be some levels of tribe, but they are not known together. And some of you uh, biblicists or biblical historians, you know that this led out of the book of Genesis. That in Genesis, there was a man by the name of uh, Jacob and Jacob had uh, 12 sons. Uh, One of his sons had all of these amazing dreams. His name was Joseph, and his brothers didn't like him too much. Uh, Without getting fully into Joseph's story, uh, his brothers turn around on him. They sell him into slavery, and he goes through a life-changing ordeal from palaces to pits to prison. All of a sudden, he ascends to the highest office in Egypt. Second in command, second only to Pharaoh himself. His wisdom and his divine connection allow him to see and to do what no one else. Can In fact, he is so amazing that he ushers in a brand new economic and social movement in Egypt, solidifying them as a power in the ancient world. It is his efforts, his intelligence, and sometimes his dogmatic way of going about things that move Egypt now into a world power. It is this that now brings his brothers and his fathers and their children to live in Egypt when famine has come and they stay there because Pharaoh was so Thankful for the way that this country had now grown, this nation, this kingdom. And as they kept growing, they kept multiplying. They continued to multiply, so much so that they multiplied even beyond their own current generation, generations and generations to come. Some would say they must not have had TVs in their bedrooms (laughs) when there's nothing else to do. We can find something to do. So they continue to grow. And the scripture tells us that now after Joseph and his brother's generation had all passed away, we're now years and years down the line, more and more come up. There arises a new king. Everybody say a new king. king. There arises a new pharaoh. A new pharaoh, one that now is growing into new power, taking over this amazingly powerful country. This is a new king. New king comes with new ideas. New king comes with new possibilities. A new king comes with a new way of looking forward. We see now that there arrives a time where it does not matter what had happened before, but something new has come. And some of us know about these ideas of newness, These ideas that move us forward, right, that for for so many of us, right, when we think about it, when we think about what is new, oftentimes new is only new in comparison to what is old. And in fact, I dare say it is in our culture that we have an infatuation with new. You know we love new, new clothing, new opportunities, new car- new phones. We have to constantly have the new thing because the new thing is the thing and the old thing no longer holds our attention. We have an infatuation with new. New has become now synonymous with superior. And old synonymous with inferior. And it is philosopher, uh, I think he goes by the name Bilfo. He's an Italian philosopher. He lifts this story up in this uh, article he writes called After Future, where he says this is a new thing, this idea of newness and future being better. I'm not sure if we recognize that the world has not always expected the future to be better than the past. Right, 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 right. We live in a dispensation where we're constantly looking forward to better things to come. But uh, as he would lift up, if you lived in the middle ages when you were surrounded by the Christian bubble, it was expected that the best things were in the past. Think about it. It is in the past by which God created the world. It is in the past that Adam and Eve lived in the garden prior to the inset of sin. It is in the past where we lived the glorious way that we were supposed to live. We are not getting closer to that. We are only getting further away. It was no expectation that the future in and of itself would be better. That is an advent, a creation that comes in connection to capitalism and production because now you have to know that we can make more stuff but you won't keep buying the more stuff if you already got the stuff that you think you need. So I have to be able to create a way for you to think that the stuff that's still doing things for you currently are no longer good enough to force you to say, I'm willing to pay more money for something that's almost the exact same, but it's a new smiley face. This idea of new and future is a concept that we live in in a very different way. And so, when this text lifts up that there's a new king, some of us may hear new and hear positivity. Some of us may hear new and think of possibilities and hope. Well, all of a sudden we recognize very clearly that new was not intended to mean better. All right. It says, a new king had risen up. And this new king knew nothing. <laughs> it's amazing how that worked. <laughs> if, <clears throat> I've had the, the, the supreme honor of being able to go to Egypt, And one of the things you will learn about Egyptian culture is that they were some of the earliest advances in technology, written technology specifically. That that was associated with the pharaohs was almost intentionally kept stored and moved forward. You did not get the opportunity not to know because it was all around you encased in monuments, encased in hieroglyphs, constantly retold from the royal court. There was a training process for new and upcoming leaders in this way because the way of the Egyptian was good. So it makes me question, how could a king Rise up, and know nothing that's good, that's good. about Josephs in literally one of the most advanced, advanced cultures of its day with its ability to communicate forward. They have done things that still today we marvel at. They built buildings that still stand and we can barely make sure our building stands for 20 or 30 years. We're talking thousands of years. These structures are still in place with no technology that we know of. And and the king rose to power and knew Nothing about how he became and how the country became unless there's a reason for the lack of knowledge. Right, right, right. Maybe it wasn't a lack of knowledge, but a rewriting of knowledge. Maybe the reason that Joseph was not known was because Joseph was now hidden by others who were ascribed to his history. And the reason why a new king could not know who Joseph was was because the stories that were now told in Egypt whited out Joseph's uh, 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 presence and put in others that said that they did things that they had not done and and they they moved other books away and said you can't read these books, but you can read these books right here. It's something that must have happened. How could you not know? Maybe this was intentional. And maybe it wasn't. This is all conjecture. The scriptures don't tell us why he doesn't know. But I think it's something to his not knowing. Because if he doesn't know, things change. Because if he does know, maybe things might be different. The Exodus writer intentionally tells us that he didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the stories. Maybe it was willful ignorance. You know, sometimes we love to feign ignorant. And you might be ignorant, but it's not because you could not be learned. It's because you have chosen not to know. And that willful ignorance can also produce the same type of stuff. Maybe they got tired of teaching him the same history. We don't want to keep talking about the same thing over and over again. The the children get so bored at us telling the stories all over again. And so instead of teaching them the stories as they should be known, we just let them learn whatever they want to learn. And then we wonder why they now do and have decisions that they make that make no sense to us because we didn't make sure that they knew. How does he know nothing? Maybe something, maybe not the full bandwidth, maybe not the whole story, but you got to know something. You weren't this powerful. You didn't have this much land. You wouldn't be where you are had it not been for this one that came before you. You mean you know nothing? Well, maybe you knew nothing because it benefited individuals if you did not know. Because if you don't know, you might be willing to do what nobody thought could be done before. As I was reading, this, this took me back to Genesis. I told you this story comes from Genesis. If you get a chance, Genesis right around chapter 37 starts the story of Joseph. It's an amazing story. In fact, his story is so amazing. It's so uh, formulaic for the Christian faith and the Jewish faith that he takes up almost the end. All the end of the book is primarily about him. save maybe one chapter where they kind of deviate. Then they come right back to Joseph. He is this important to the story, but something stood out to me in his story. Chapter 43, Joseph, risen to power, seated above everyone save Pharaoh. His brothers have now come to Egypt looking for grain because they are getting ready to die. They have no food. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And he puts them through the ringer. I'm not saying that that's what we ought to do when we get a chance to Have the one up on those who have one up on us, but he does it. He does it real good. He gives them stress. He sends them back. He holds one of them in captives. I mean, he's doing a lot. Finally, they bring his younger brother to him. His father didn't want to let him go because his father thought Joseph was dead and he didn't want Benjamin to die too. But now they finally bring Benjamin and he sees Benjamin. He sees his 12 brothers, well, 11 brothers, and he recognizes they don't know him. He begins to cry. He literally leaves the court. He walks away so he can compose himself because he doesn't want them to see him like this. He don't want them to know that he is so moved just at their appearance. Scripture says they go back in. He invites them to dinner. But listen how Scripture describes how the dinner goes. Chapter 43, it says Joseph is set at a table by himself. And his brothers are sat at a table by themselves, and the Egyptians that served Joseph sit at a table by themselves, because Egyptians despised Hebrews. I don't think you hear it. Joseph is second in command. Right. And the very men he commands refuse to sit at a table with him, even though he has the signet ring of Pharaoh, because Egyptians despised Hebrews. Joseph had everything and nothing, powerful and isolated living with the ability to do everything and couldn't connect with any of the people that were all around them because they hated where he had come from. So when we get to this new king, it sounds amazing to me that this new king jumps immediately upon an idea that we knew existed in Egypt for generations. They could teach him nothing about Joseph, right, 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 right. but he seemed to be well versed in the despair, disdain, discrimination, and hatred towards Hebrews. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Right. New king new nothing but new growth. First thing the king says, listen to his words. Let, let me reread them. I want you to hear how he says this. He goes and he says, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites slaves. Uh, I've been afraid of a a couple of folks in my life. It's not a long list, but it is a list. I'll never forget. I'm outside playing, playing with this older guy, And um, for some reason he wants me to do something I don't feel like doing it. And so he gets mad at me. And like, he hits me. And I can tell by sheer size, if we go head up, my head ain't gonna stay up. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) But I was smart enough to know that on my block, if somebody hits you and you did nothing, you would be doing nothing as long as you lived on that block. Man, I bust into the house. Go into my room. I had this small little Louisville slugger. I go grab the back and I'm headed out of the room. And just so happen, out of all the days, out of all the days, my father worked all the time. My father worked so much so his children could have everything like Louisville slugger bats. He just happened to be home today. He wasn't home yesterday. (laughs) Wasn't home the day I lost my bike. I'm just playing. Just playing. That wasn't your fault. That That was mine. That was mine. That was me. And I'm walking out the house with this bat and my father. Hey, where you going? And me, the smart kid that I am, it's a baseball field around the corner, I'm going to play baseball. I was going to play baseball, just not with a ball. But my father noticed something about me. Most kids going to play baseball ain't crying. You ain't no tears in baseball. My father stops me, slows me down, recognizes that I'm about to do something that I should not do and gives me a moment of wisdom. I understand how you feel, but that's not the way to handle this. As much as I was scared of him, the only way I thought that I could get over him was trying to subdue him myself. But this never works. But this pitch resonates deeply because the Egyptians already despised the Hebrews. Can you hear it? There's so many of them, man, they taking all our jobs. Maybe we should build up a wall, man, to keep them in Goshen, because they keep coming over here and we don't know what else to do. I don't like our current policy by which we keep letting everybody, everybody ain't Egyptian. Right, Hey, we should only keep the Egyptians Egyptian. And if you ain't Egyptian, maybe you should just go back to your own country. It's amazing how that was already there. The, The new king that knew nothing didn't invent this. He just built off of what was already there. And watch this. He's so intelligent, so smart that he doesn't just say, let's get him out of here. He says, How about we do something that's even more beneficial to us? Wow. Wow. Why, why not make money off of them? Yeah. Why? Wow. Hey Amen. Even the babies, they know. They know. Uh oh. <laughs> Literally, watch this. The idea is now to make them slaves, so many of them, they're so powerful, why don't we use that for our own good? They are enslaved, not for weakness, but because of power. It is their sheer number and ability. It is the fear of those that are watching them. It is the constant worry. You have to protect yourselves. You don't know what they're capable of. If you don't watch out, they'll rise up against us. They are too strong for us. And the only way that we can slow them down is by subduing them now. Where were the Egyptian protests? Where were the people that are like, no, my kids go to school with their kids. We can't do this. No, man. They they do such great work. They have some of the best bread coming out of there. (laughs) No. Because it's amazing how people are so willing to do things that we should never do when we can just make it a little beneficial for us too. Uh Right, right, right. Egyptians jump at the opportunity. In fact, can you see his campaign slogans? I'm creating more jobs. We need new slave drivers. We need new folks to be up and above, over and on top of. We need somebody else that can hold a strong fence. We need men of the law. Right, 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 right. right. Can you see it? Invites them in. They willingly go. And they try to stomp them out. They work them like dogs. They give them every job that they don't want to do. And still, they keep growing. And, And if I'm honest, I've preached all of this just to get to this point but they still kept growing. As much as we're in Black History Month and as as much as life is challenging, I felt a divine assignment to encourage somebody, but they still kept growing. When they entered and made their lives harder, when they put them now under subjection and oppression, they still kept growing. And I wish somebody else could hear this, that God does not need for the situation to be good or perfect or beautiful. But our God can grow us even in the ugly, messed up situations of life. They still kept growing. Preach, preach, preach. They were growing so much that they said, work them harder. Now, maybe they don't understand human psychology because when you're stressed, you need stress relief. (laughs) And apparently, they was real stressed. And they had a whole bunch of relief because they kept growing. it was more and more of them. Then all of a sudden, he says, this ain't working. Right, right, right. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna enter the healthcare system. Everybody don't need access to good and affordable healthcare. Not not everybody. Not everybody. The girls get the good stuff, but the boys? No, 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 no. You can't you can't let them leave. You gotta kill them and take them out because if we can sterilize them. Because think about it, think about it, think about this. If you really wanted to do away with them, why not kill all the kids? Let me say it again. If we hate them so much, why not kill all the kids? Because you don't want them to go. You just want to control them. And it's far easier to control when the ones you fear you kill off. Kill the men. In fact, start killing them as boys. Probably if they were today, they wouldn't even kill them. They would be so good. They would just suggest to the boys to kill themselves. Kill each other. Because y'all don't love each other. You should hate each other. Because if you kill you, then you can't blame us for killing you. But we're going to profit off of every single image that makes you hate the fact that you are you. And pump nothing into your communities so there's nowhere that you can go. Maybe we are seeing some new kings who knew nothing but new growth. But we got a God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Scripture says that the midwives wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said no. They said I'm not going to do it. Thank God for the women that said we'll protest even if the men won't. Right, right. Thank God for the women that said we are positioned in this position to make sure that we can make uh, to make sure that we can continue this. We're going to fight this line. So when it's your turn, fight for us. And and I wish we had more young men that recognize how many times the women showed up for us. And we're only here because they showed up. And what would it look like if we fought for them as much as they fought for us? And forgive me for the deviation, but i got to say it, we ought to love our women. We ought to take care of our women. They should never have to worry about where to go. We should love on them. Because had it not been for them, had they not been the ones that nurtured us, loved on us, provided for us, even with the shadow of Pharaoh on their back, they said, no. But new growth. They kept on growing. They said, kill them, they kept on growing. They said, work them, they kept on growing. All of a sudden now, it's more of them than ever. And God is right there. And although this chapter may not take us all the way there, it's a reason why now we know of another king. There was a new king that knew nothing but new growth. But there's another king. That king wasn't brand new to the situation. That king really wasn't a new king at all. That king was just as old as time itself. That king had been there since time zero. That king had said, let there be. That king had started it all. That king had seen us before. That king knew that we were coming and that king knew everything. Knew all of our mistakes, knew all of our issues, knew all of our shortcomings, knew that we would never be able to make it out of the oppression by ourselves. And that king did a new thing to make sure that now we could grow into everlasting life. This same king had also been associated with another king to come, one by the name of Moses, but he was better than Moses. This king had been associated with Elijah, but oh, he was better than Elisha. This king had been associated with John the Baptist, but oh, he was better than John the Baptist. This king was God incarnate. This king was bigger than anything else. This king had power in his wings. This king could walk upon the waters. This king could tell everybody else, watch out, I'm about to do a new thing. And he does it not by war, not by trying to kill everybody that was going against us, but by giving his life that we might have life. It is a reason why we understand the Christian story through the story of Exodus. In fact, well before Christianity had made it into many of the places all around the world, there were Africans in the diaspora of slavery from Brazil to the West Indies that had stories and lores. Of Moses. Moses the great emancipator, the great liberator, the one that was able to stand and talk to God. And as much as we think or they could have thought Moses was special, can you imagine Jesus right, right, right. sitting at the right hand of the Father And every single time there's an issue or mistake, every single time the enemy brings up a reason that you deserve demise, he stands up and says, not my girl, not my boy. I got him taken care of. He's covered already. I know what he owes, but check his account has been paid in full. There's no more debt there. There's no more need there. I have covered it. All you gotta do now is see the blood that covers them that now he can be, she can be all that we've claimed and created them to be. There was another king that knew everything and knew that we could have brand new growth inside of us. So I pray. That you would adhere and grab to that hand. Because it's going to be worth your entire life. Pray with me.